You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, this is Robert Wright. One thing I like about the conversations I have here on The Wright Show is that they help me think and write. They've informed the books and many of the articles I've written over the past 15 years. Now, lately, most of my writing has been for my newsletter, the Non-Zero Newsletter. It covers the kinds of topics you see on the show. Politics, foreign policy, psychology, philosophy, spirituality, how to avoid the apocalypse, things like that. So if you enjoy The Right Show, chances are pretty good that you'll enjoy the newsletter. It's free, and all you have to do to get it is go to nonzero.org and sign up. So I suggest that you hit pause, go sign up, and then hit play. Thanks. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Bob. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not complaining at the moment, all things considered. Let me introduce us. I'm Robert Wright. This is The Wright Show, available on both streaming video and via audio podcast. You are Jessica Stern. You teach at Boston University. Now, are you in what department are you in at Boston University? I'm at a new school called the Party School of Global Studies at Boston University. That's presumably not P-A-R-T-Y, what P-A-R-T-Y. right. This is a joke I hear all the time. Oh, I'm glad I could be unoriginal. Uh, (laughs) It's P-A-R-D-E-E, Mr. Pardee funded our school, the creation of our school. Okay. Now you're the author uh, of some some among your books you've written are Denial, a memoir of terror and um Terror in the Name of God: Why Religious Militants Kill, but we're here to talk about your most recent book, in fact, uh, pretty much brand new, um My War Criminal Personal Encounters with an Architect of Genocide. I'm going to hold up I've been listening to the audible version, but so but that is roughly what the book jacket would look like. Uh, if people bought the actual book, um, I'm holding that up to the screen. The, uh, I, I think it's a really important book. Uh, it's a courageous book. Um, I think it's a book that's taken a certain amount of incoming fire, uh, which is one reason I call it courageous. Um, what it does is, uh, you know, it's a book about somebody who's been convicted in an international tribunal of complicity and genocide. You actually spent hours and hours and hours with him in his um, prison cell. The person in, in, in question is Radovan Karadzic, um, who was uh, president of the, uh, the Serb Republic within Bosnia. Is that the right way to, to put yes. it? And, and was... Uh, was convicted in connection with the Bosnian genocide in in the in the 1990s um and and it's an attempt to uh understand why he came to be the person how he came to be the person he was do the things he did how he conceived of the things he did and you know whenever you try to explain why people do bad things you may encounter blowback because People are inclined to think that to explain why people do things is to try to excuse them and so on, right? Um, have you been surprised by the amount of, uh, of incoming fire you've taken on this? Very much so. I, to be honest, I, I was a little worried that I'd be hacked. I, I realized there were going to be some people that 
were going to be really, really unhappy that I was interviewing an evil person who was responsible for a genocide. Uh, and I assumed the people who would go after me were either Russians or Serbs. Uh, so I, I, I was concerned about my mainly online security. Uh, the last thing I ever expected was that I would get the kind of response that, that I did get, uh, which was coming apparently from the Bosniak side, but people in the State Department and also at the Yugoslav Tribunal thought that it was actually promoted by either Serbia or Russia. And I, what I realized happens, ironically, I teach about this, but uh, it still came as a surprise. People who respond, people respond to each other's social media posts without necessarily reading. In my case, there was an op-ed, a, a, a version, a very short uh, excerpt in the New York Times. Mm -hmm. They don't even bother to read that. They're responding to what somebody else says, and they have no idea they're part of a mob. And they think they're just responding to one person. And then if somebody's promoting nasty statements to the top of people's feeds with lots of likes, then a lot of people are responding. And they, they just don't know uh, that they're, they're part of a mob. They, they think they're having a conversation with, with someone they know or, or know of. So, yeah, I was shocked. We were all completely shocked. We so weren't ready for wh it. Where did you feel the heat? Was it on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, where? Well, I saw it on Twitter because I'm not on Facebook, but colleagues of mine saw it on, on Facebook as well. And then did it affect how you could go around talking about the book? I mean, normally there's a phase of book promotion. Was that compromised or affected? Yeah. Uh, my publisher canceled absolutely everything. Um it was, it happened at almost exactly the same time that American Dirt book tour was canceled. And mm. I think that actually my, my editor, who's also the publisher of Echo, which is an imprint at HarperCollins, he had told me that he just had a lunch with two other publishers who were facing similar, um, results from the so-called cancel culture. So, I think people were very upset about American Dirt, and I I understand why my publisher canceled everything. I mean, everything, yeah. including radio, um, podcasts, uh, and not just bookstore events. Yeah, and, and the, the Woody Allen book was canceled too. These are, these are three very different books. American Dirt is is a, I guess a novel by. Uh, an American author, but it's about, I guess, immigrants from Mexico. And the, and the allegation was kind of, who are you to be able to truly understand their plight and and whatever. So uh, that's kind of a different kettle of fish. But that had made uh, your your uh, your publishers a little a little gun shy. It sounds like. I think so. I think they were influenced by that. And and yes, they were they were worried about my security. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm not sure whether that was realistic, but it could have been. I don't know. Now, I, why did I understand you to say you were surprised that uh, 
that a lot of the blowback seemed at least to come from the Bosnian side. I don't think that would surprise me, right? I mean, they were the Bosnian Muslims were the victims of the genocide. And I, and I would think that anything that seems to be an attempt to illuminate the forces that led this person to do that, uh, uh, you know, to, 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 uh, to, uh, facilitate or orchestrate or whatever. We'll get into what exactly he, the various people, what exactly connect, exact connection they had to the genocide. But I, I would think that if I'm, I'm uh, a Bosnian Muslim and I hear that someone is going to explain why a person I consider evil did something evil, I might. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, uh, a not uncommon human reaction, right? So, so why were, why were you surprised, uh, that it seemed to come from the Bosnian side? Well, I, you know, in retrospect, I shouldn't have been surprised. Robert J. Lifton got pushback from Jews about the, the book on the Nazi doctors. He got pushback from the victims. Right. Hannah Arendt also got pushback from, Victims, but I assume that since I was writing about Karadzic in a way that he really didn't like, uh, that and it, d- really describing how he used people's fear and deliberately strengthened people's fear, he used what was a little bit of fear in in a certain part of the population, and he, he weaponized it. Um, something that we know politicians do. Uh, I didn't think that was going to appeal to his supporters. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the people I, I spoke to, who I call Dr. Angel, uh, I had to disguise her because she was afraid of both neo-Nazis who might be unhappy that she was speaking about Radovan Karadzic. He's a hero to the racist hard right uh, and she was also deeply afraid of Serb nationalists as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- honestly, when she said that to me, I, I respected her concern absolutely, but I thought she was being a little bit paranoid. And now I realize she was right to be concerned about both sides, actually. I mean, that, yeah. I think the, what it really comes down to is that that war is really not over, and I underestimated the pain that people still feel. Mm-hmm. And that, I believe, uh, was a mistake. I, I, I regret that. I think I, I should have anticipated mm-hmm. that reaction. Yeah, I guess in, in situations of intense conflict between two groups, it's very easy to say things that neither side likes. That that that's a testament to the amount of tension and how different the perspectives are. Right. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I want to say one before we get into this. I mean, I do think I, I personally think it's very important to always, uh, no matter how bad what somebody did was, always try to figure out why they did it in hopes that you might make these things less likely in the future. That's not the same as saying they shouldn't be punished. I think you have to punish people who do bad things. But I do want to get into your exploration because I think it's illuminating. Um, the other thing that it's relevant to that's, uh, that a lot of people are interested in is, the, in a way, the current uh, political situation in America. A, a question you touch on, I would say, pretty lightly. You 
barely allude to it, but it is the question of whether some of the social, political, cultural forces that Karadzic uh, exploited, that, that propelled him to a position where he could be involved in genocide, whether some of those forces have something in common with forces afoot today in Europe and in America. They are, they are ethno-nationalist forces. They involve certain kinds of grievances, certain kinds of uh, discontents with, with globalization. I was actually surprised by some of the parallels in in worldview um, between some of uh, some of the Serb nationalists and, and, and some American nationalists, which is not to say that they're in the same moral category or anything else. It's just to say that the kinds of discontents that are simmering around the world can, if certain other conditions apply, um, you know, lead to bad things. So that's worth thinking about, too. So there is that kind of relevance mm-hmm. that the book yeah, has. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, maybe we should start out by reminding people of the historical context before we get into Karadzic himself. Um, so, Cold War ended. Yugoslavia started to fall apart. Uh, it had always been comprised or comprised an unusual number of ethnicities, nationalities, Croats, Serbs, Bosnians, either a majority or plurality of Bosnians or Muslims. Is that right? It's one or the other, right? Um Plurality, yeah. Plurality. So Croatia seceded after a certain amount of fighting. Bosnia had an aspiration to to secede. This threatened the Serbs within Bosnia. Right. There, There was Serbia proper, but then there were Serbs within Bosnia. And they felt threatened by the prospect that Bosnia would secede because then they felt that they would be under the domination of uh, Muslims, and there was a whole history there. So that's a – is that a – do you want to add anything to that? It's just a uh, – sorry, the basic dynamics before we yeah, get into I, 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 you you captured it well. I mean, the, the, the issue is that within Yugoslavia, the Serbs were the dominant ethnic group, and in an independent Bosnia, they would be outnumbered by Muslims. They would no longer – enjoy the status of being the dominant demographic group. And there is a parallel, I think, with how some white Americans feel today. They worry um, that with the, as of 2013, more non-white babies were born than whites. And uh, this is, for some whites, a very threatening moment. And there is the theory about white genocide and so on. You're right. There's a vast difference morally uh, between how Serbs, Bosnian Serbs and Serbs reacted uh, from how white nationalists are reacting. But some of the same dynamics are there. And as you say, under certain circumstances, we could imagine that there, there would be violence. Hopefully mm-hmm. not civil war, but we, we, we can imagine there, there would be violence as a result of the pressure that some white nationalists feel. But yes, Yugoslavia was made up of, of six republics and the, the breakup of Yugoslavia caused a tremendous amount of tension, but most importantly in Bosnia where there were three ethnic groups. Uh, rather than one uh, dominant group. 
So the third was uh, Croatian. Um, they're Catholics or Orthodox? Catholic. They're, they're Catholic, so the Serbs are Orthodox, right? Right. Um, so, okay, now, so you had this, you know, chain reaction kind of like uh, the Bosnians don't want to be the minority governed by the Serbs, so they want to secede. The Serbs within Bosnia don't want to be the minority within, you know, so it's, it's in a way, it's this uh, a repetition of a, of a single kind of psychological dynamic. But in this case, there's a long, long history that st- stays in the consciousness of some people in that region to an extent that I think would shock Americans who have a, v- a pretty short historical memory, right? Yes, we're almost the opposite extreme. Uh, when they talk about things that happen in many centuries ago for nationalists on all sides, it's as if it happened yesterday. I mean, they really talk about it as if they personally were hurt. Right. And, and this... Uh, I mean, what is the what is the date? Thirteen eighty nine or something. There's a date yes, where yeah, the right. involving the Ottomans who are Muslims and the Serbs, right? How, what what is this? Because this, right. you know, this is very much on Karadzic's mind. This, right, this, it, Saint Vitus Day uh, when the Serbs were were trounced by the Ottoman fighters and. Uh, they were martyred and it, it's such an important uh, myth. Well, I mean, there, there's a, a lot that have, we know is historically true. Not all of what, what is part of the myth is it has been proven to be true, but it's so essential to the way Serb nationalists think. It doesn't mean that every Serb is obsessed with what happened in 1389, but Serb nationalists, Go back to that date, and it become it became very very important during the war. Uh, the the idea of Serbs being m- martyred by Muslims mm-hmm. and Serbian nationalism is just kind of famously strong, right? It, it's almost in a league of its own, right? Uh, I I uh, is there? Do you understand why that is? Why it is there? There is such. Why it's persisted? No, I mean, I, it seems to me that the, that at, it, at different points in history, nationalism can become very ugly just about anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, it, the, the question is, at what point do people believe in their own group, want want to promote their own group less than they want to hurt another group? Um, that that. Or, or when, when the desire to hurt others, that when that rises to the fore, that's when I think we're really, mm-hmm. um, there's trouble ahead. I, I'm not sure I put that in the best way. But. I, I, I think, yeah, I, I, we, we know the, the, the point where, where, yeah, the, the, the object of the game becomes just to hurt the other, <laughs> to hurt the other group as much as, at least as much as to help your, your own group, even though, um, as you note, um, in fact, the way you put it is fear gives rise to hatred, not the other way around. I mean, not that it there isn't maybe some mutual kind of causation, but that's your basic view, right? That that fear tends to be primary. Yes, I think fear is very important in explaining uh, what happened there and, and what can happen 
anywhere, really. Um, but what it really matters how leaders react, whether they try to intensify that fear deliberately to strengthen their own power or to mobilize a war, or they try to assuage people's fears. And, right. and, or it, it's, it's critically important. The, the, in Yugoslavia, we saw so-called ethnic entrepreneurs who deliberately used fear to mobilize violence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, and I guess, I guess you could point to, I mean, I, I, you know, when I said Serbian nationalism is strong, that doesn't, I, I, I don't know enough history to know actually how far back it goes. I'm not saying that ever since 1389 or whatever year that is, uh, you know, it's uh, all, you know, people of this ethnicity have, have gotten up in the morning thinking about it. And in fact, Serbian nationalism per se, I'm sure didn't, as we think of nationalism, really crystallize until later. But um, there, there were, uh, in during the 20th century, there were various things that energized it i i i guess is that right Absolutely. beginning with beginning with with uh what with world war one certainly during world war two but what are the highlights you would list uh, the 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 collective traumas that serbs are very concerned about um that that are a, a really big part of um their identity uh, what happened in 1389 on the field of blackbirds and the ottoman occupation, um, as they often put it, um, and World War II. Those are the two very important mm-hmm. moments uh, for them in, in their history. And one of the things I was able to ask Karadzic was, what did he see as the, what Vomik Volkan, the psychoanalyst, calls a chosen trauma? What is, the, what is the most important trauma in explaining your identity um, mm-hmm. I asked Karadzic, and he said, much to my surprise, the Ottoman period. I, I assumed he would say World War II because he, his family was quite involved um, during that period. And there, during World War II, there was as much inter the, a civil war at the same time that uh, – Germany and Italy were were uh, invading um, the Nazis, um, and uh, that that is a a terrible memory for all sides. Mm-hmm. So I guess so I guess I, uh, with World War One, kind of for the Serbs, maybe the good news was the Ottomans are finally defeated; their empire crumbles. And, but maybe the bad news for a number of them is that the world decides to assemble these various nationalities into a single country, Yugoslavia. And so Serbia didn't get independence at that point. Is that, was that, is that a big issue with them? They don't talk about it in, in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I mean, it, it clearly was. Because they were they were actually the dominant ethnicity in Yugoslavia, right? So it was it wasn't a, probably a bad life by and large, right? Especially in the in the kingdom of Yugoslavia, they were very much the the dominant nationality, and resentment about their dominance uh, led to a situation that Serb nationalists felt 
was sort of the opposite, that they were, they not only were they no longer on top as they were in the kingdom of Yugoslavia, but according to Serb nationalists, they were, they were at the bottom of, of the, the right. list of nationalities. And they used that resentment and tried to take back uh, what they felt was rightly theirs. This is not a common view. This is a view of Serb nationalists. Okay. And they're very important for us to understand if we're trying to think about what happened in the 90s. Okay. So you've got a situation where after World War II, certainly Serb nationalism is a you know reasonably strong, persistent thing. And then Karadzic is born into a family that gives him a particularly close connection to it, wouldn't you say? I mean, he has an ancestor who was... Uh, important in, well, you know, well, you tell the story. I mean, you know, the epic poetry, the, the whole, the whole thing. Well, during the Tito period after World War II, nationalism was largely put down, but it was, it was sort of, it's like a feeling that you don't want to have and you try to bury it. And sometimes that doesn't work very well. Uh, but, and a lot of people talk about how the pain was was disowned only to come back even stronger. And this certainly happened in Karadzic's family. His father was a, a Serb nationalist, a Chetnik, who, a monarchist. Um, and Karadzic, an anti-communist, Karadzic had a lot of, ten- there was a lot of tension between Karadzic and his father and initially I think probably to annoy his father he was pro-communist then he got involved as a dissident but some of the people involved in the anti-communist dissident movement thought that he was actually spying on behalf of the socialist government uh, he he was very much a chameleon in terms of how he presented himself, his ideology whether he was communist, anti-communist, dissident You mean the father? His father was very okay. much an, a nationalist. Okay, okay. And Karadzic, the son, um, was the chameleon. Okay. H- however, and, and he's often described in, in using exactly that word. His own friends had trouble figuring out what were his real views. Where did this nationalism come from? Why did he become such an extreme nationalist when he rose to power? It was something they didn't recognize. They they said they'd never seen this side of him. That was something mm-hmm. that one could associate with his father, not with him. But I came to believe after the time that I spent with him that that's the real Karadzic, that yes, he was a chameleon. He could uh, take on the mantle of the, the Green Movement, the Green Party. He could take on the mantle of the dissident movement. He could present himself as a communist. He's presented himself a, in all these ways, but that the real Karadzic was a nationalist, and that was inculcated in him from his earliest childhood. Mm-hmm. His father was incarcerated uh, by the, the partisans, the communist partisans, uh, for the first five years of, of Karadzic's life. And uh, I think this had a very big impact on the son. And yeah. during that period, his mother, who was actually illiterate, 
would intone these epic poems that are all about the evil Ottomans, the evil Turks, and that became a term that Serb nationalists used, Turks, about Bosniaks, Bosnian Muslims, who are absolutely not Turks, but they are Muslim like the Ottomans. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and then, I mean, as far as the nationalism goes, the ancestor I was I was alluding to, I don't know if he was a grandfather, great grandfather, but he, he actually did he compile a Serb dictionary or something? And I mean, I mean, I mean, he is he's an actual important. He is important very figure. important. Yes, Vuk Karadzic uh, is a. Um, he he created the the uh, a dictionary for the language, the written language um, that was used. That and uh, he also collected epic poetry. He's a uh, a very significant literary figure who apparently was quite brilliant. Was this the first big dictionary? I mean, the reason I ask is because these. This is taken as a real threshold in the evolution of nationalism. When a language is consolidated as the language of the people and you have a dictionary and everything, it often happens like, you know, sometimes in the 18th, in the 19th century or whatever, but it is, but he, he, he is that. This was yeah, a big, he's he the one who did that. Yeah. Teradich is very, very famous, uh, ancestor. There are some people who assume that Heritage was lying about his connection with this very famous figure, um, but I, I came to believe that, that that in fact he wasn't. That there yeah. was they did come from the same tribe, right. um, and uh, and yes, it's it's it was very important for Radovan Karadzic the president during uh, the, the Serb entity in Bosnia during the 90s to lay claim to this very esteemed, uh, famous ancestor. And you're mm-hmm. right, also important, uh, we, we could say, uh, in, in consolidating a, langu- a, a written language. Now, another, uh, I guess, indicator of the intensity of the nationalist sentiment within the family is that when... After he was indicted by the war, uh, you know, he was on the land for a long time, as you, as you, as you note, uh, after he was indicted, he was on the loose and he adopted the guise of, uh, a new age, you know, spiritual energy healer guy and grew out his beard and everything. And for years and years, uh, nobody, uh, knew where he was, at least, um, yeah, no, nobody who knew who he was knew where he was, I guess. The, um, but his mother at that point sent a message to him, I think by, through just speaking publicly or something, and she said she hoped that he would commit suicide rather than submit to the indignity of being apprehended. That's his mother saying that. I mean, that's it, intense. It sure is. I mean, that, that, that level of nationalism is so extreme. I've never, seen or heard of anything that extreme how could a mother want her own child to commit suicide rather than than submit to the international to get captured by the international community that was was seeking him uh he was on the lam for almost 13 years over 12 years 
and he disguised himself, as you just said, as a new age energy healer and would sit sometimes in a bar in front of a picture of President Radovan Karadzic. <laughs> but he was so unrecognizable uh, with this long beard. He grew his hair very long. He tied it on top of his head uh, with the black ribbon. Uh, he He looked completely different. His voice was completely different. He not only changed his accent, he was able to change the pitch of his voice so that intelligence personnel tr- listening sometimes to phone calls did, did not recognize who he was. Mm-hmm. And we should say he is a trained psychologist and is very proud of what he sees as his understanding of the human mind, his ability to manipulate people, outwit people. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. He boasted about that. He He's a psychiatrist. He's an MD. Um, and he, much to my surprise, told me very early on, I can control a mob with my eyes. Now, that's, I doubt he can actually control a mob with his eyes, but he thinks that the fact that he would want to present himself that way to me, I mean, maybe that would go over well with Serb nationalists. I I assumed, since he was trying to manipulate me every second, he was trying to create an image, an attractive image of himself. I thought he would understand that 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 did not make him appealing. It made him look boastful and almost like he was boasting, I am so evil that I was able to mesmerize people in this way uh, to to make them follow me rather than I was responding to the needs of the people. You know, this was uh, not demand-driven, but supply-driven, that he wanted to drive the, people's fear and, and pull them along, uh, that that he was the cause of what happened rather than his just being there to defend them from, from a threat. Okay. Um now we we um we mentioned uh, one sign of intensity on the part of his mother uh there there's something about his father we haven't mentioned and that 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 Karadzic did not volunteer to you but you discovered which is that well, you mentioned one stint in prison that his father served but but before World War II he was convicted of murder and and imprisoned and only released because prisoners were released during World War II right Right. It was a, a common practice to to release prisoners if, if the country was invaded. Yes, I I found this out. Uh, I, I heard something about an earlier stint in prison. His brother inadvertently mentioned that. And then I I I had to find out what this was about. I mean, I became completely determined uh, to, to figure this out. And Karadzic's father had fallen in love with a cousin, and he was in love with a, apparently a fifth cousin, and was so determined to marry this young woman, and not just marry her, but marry her immediately on his timetable, that he ended up killing her, because she refused to marry him on the day that, that he wanted her to. So we have to wonder about the character of this father, a murderer, uh, but also so impetuous and impatient that that he murdered his own cousin that he was in love with 
just because she wouldn't do exactly what he wanted in the moment he wanted it. We might also ask about his ultimate wife's decision to marry him in light of that history, but uh, there's no, uh, no no way of knowing. I mean, he, he would no doubt say in his defense, well, he actually shot her in the thigh and she bled to death, so that allowed him to claim it was some kind of accident. But anyway, the court the court certainly didn't buy it. So, so, so you might think then that uh, Karadzic inherited either through learning or some means, whatever a tradition of violence and became a thug and got involved in the genocide, but that's actually not, not the path. What I, what I mean is he tried to excel in areas not just totally unrelated to murdering a bunch of people, but, but, but in, in not po- non-political arenas, right? I mean, he, from the beginning, he, he wanted greatness and you, you, you talk about narcissism in, in the book and, and we can get into that, but, um, what was his describe like his his kind of career trajectory? Sure. So he he went to medical school. He studied group uh, psychoanalysis, um, and he 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 became a psychiatrist. And he thought of himself as a great psychiatrist. But fortunately, we have a very detailed interview with his supervisor at the mental hospital uh, who reports that he wasn't at all a great psychiatrist, that in fact he really was lazy. And he, he would boast about how great he was, and people assumed he was joking because it was so odd to hear someone talking about himself, boasting about himself in, in such unseemly ways. You know, there's a uh, politician who's coming to mind at this very moment, but we needn't <laughs> right, right. get into that. The, the, his, his supervisor, who, who, by the way, is a, a Muslim psychiatrist, was really, really disappointed, was initially fond of Karadzic, but very disappointed in his performance as a psychiatrist. He said he... He really didn't take care of his patients. But at the same time he was a psychiatrist, he was also trying to be a great poet. And he talked about himself as he, the third greatest poet in Serbian history. Yes, he was a celebrated poet in the communist period. Um, he seems to have had good the friends who were in the right places. Um, and he, he won some prizes, but when I spoke with poets who are taken seriously in the, the post-communist era, they they don't consider his poetry good poetry at all. I will tell you that it's extremely dark, extremely dark poetry. Uh, there's a lot of poetry with war imagery um, and death and um, actually kind of scary Um imagery and but he was determined to do very well as a poet and he won an irix fellowship which enabled people from socialist countries to come to the united states and vice versa american scholars would go to the soviet union or to the former yugoslavia um and he his poet friends assumed that he was 
doing something related to psychiatry and his psychiatrist friends assume he was doing something related to poetry. In fact, he was there to study poetry, but he was spending his time with psychiatrists in New York. I was able to uh, discover that and meet some of the people that he had met. Um, and he also did some work for a couple of soccer teams. Um, he tried to, I, I, I guess, use some kind of hypnosis to help them do better on the field. Um, and uh, then he got involved in ordinary crime. He got involved in embezzlement. He he wanted to, he he built himself a country house and was involved in some kind of criminal activity in that regard, uh, and somehow got out of prison, which. His supervisor, again, was astonished that his psychiatrist would get involved in this kind of criminal activity, but even more shocked that he managed to get himself let out of prison um, and somehow escaped conviction. Um, and then he he got involved in politics initially in the Green Party, and started spending time with some of his former dissident friends. They knew as Yugoslavia was just beginning to break up that they wanted to start some kind of party and they, they settled on, uh, Serb nationalism and they used a, a, a Croatian, a Serb nationalist party in Croatia as their model. So the Green Party was nationalist. I mean, in America, you might not assume that because no. Greens are kind of cosmopolitan and right. we are, you know, we are the world and so on. But this was, he was a nationalist politically from the beginning. No, he, he, oh, he, he was, wasn't. He it wasn't. Was, okay. no, no, it would be the, as the, far as I understand, it would be a, a Green Party that you would recognize as, okay. as, as a okay. Green Party. I miss Okay. And, and that's part of why his friends and I mean, there's, there is one other book about him uh, that really didn't see him as a nationalist, saw him to use the word that uh, appears in this book and, and mm -hmm. appears in the, the mouths of, of his friends, chameleon. Uh, he was, this is uh, the first time that anybody has really argued that he was a nationalist. This was not like Milosevic uh, who uh, really seemed to put, to grab the mantle of nationalism uh, cynically because that was appealing at that moment. I don't believe that. I think Karadich was becoming himself when he became the, the head of the Serb Nationalist Party in Bosnia and was elected president as well. Okay. Um, so, so he's agreeing for a while. Um, and uh, and then what? He's not a green forever, right? What what no. happens? No, the 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 group of dissidents, prominent dissidents, members of the Academy of Sciences and Arts—that's what it's called there—realize uh, they they want that a group of intellectuals should should organize some kind of party, and they chose not a communist, not a green party, but a Serb nationalist party. Unfortunately, as Yugoslavia, as, as the socialist era, era was coming to an end, 
the na- nationalists rose on all sides. That's the great tragedy that mm-hmm. um, the, the it, 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 it's just so sad that this happened. And the extreme nationalists came to power on all three sides. And uh, I believe the, the United States didn't really recognize the extent to which there were also Muslim nationalists. Um, but uh, certainly we recognize the, the Serb nationalists, absolutely. And it, it's, it's just so sad that happened. Um, and it, I, I mean, I, I have a, a kind of allergy to ethnic nationalism. Um, so I, I'm sure I react especially uh, to this sad moment. Um, but it had a very sad end in, in this particular moment of, of history. Mm-hmm. Okay, so after, so Yugoslavia is breaking up. Croatia has succeeded, uh, succeeded. Um, so when um, Bosnia starts talking about seceding, uh, what is, what is uh, Karadzic's uh, position at, at that point? Um, and, and does, and does like, uh, so is it, is Republika Srpska the name of the republic within Bosnia that is Serb? Yes. Okay. So, so at some point he's president of that. What, what is the, what is the chronology? How, do, how does this, uh, I, I don't mean dates and everything, but what, what is the order of events here? So, uh, the Bosnia wanted to secede. There was a movement to secede from, y- Yugoslavia, Slovenia broke off right away. Okay, right. There was no, no, that was, n- not much violence at all. Uh-huh. That's a, uh, the Slovenian Republic was primarily ethnic Slovenian. Um, and Slovenia, that went relatively well. There was a large Serb minority in Croatia. So that caused Ethnic tensions, right, and horrible violence. Uh, and Bosnia, when Bosnia declared its independence, there there was a a referendum, um, and, um, there was a majority in favor of secession, but the Serbs did not participate in the referendum. And there had been a referendum organized among the Serbs, and they voted against secession and why because they wanted to be they wanted to remain the dominant ethnic group it was better for them to remain within what was left of Yugoslavia because they would be dominant they they strongly opposed uh, Bosnia's secession but it was recognized early on by Germany and other European nations quickly followed and the United States recognized it as an independent nation. And uh, then it became imperative uh, or, or, or uh, to assist the Bosnian Muslims who uh, were left at the mercy of what the, the Serb forces and weaponry that had often in many cases was transitioned to the Bosnian Serbs and the Bosnian Serbs also had help from 
Serbia. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a UN embargo against weapons being brought, sold to the region. But that only hurt the Bosnian Muslims because the Serbs had what rem much of the materiel from the Yugoslav army, the mm -hmm. JNA. Okay. So did the, Serb, did, did the Serbs in Bosnia declare themselves a republic um, before Bosnia had actually broken off, or it was, it was right after Bosnia uh, actually seceded, or...? They... Uh, gosh, I, you know, uh, I think uh, it must uh, have been right after. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay. I, I don't so, remember exactly. And, and, and Karadzic is the, the first... He is the president at that point, is that right? Yes, he, he became the president of this Serb entity in breakaway Bosnia. And how exactly has he made the transition from Green Party uh, figure to president of of, uh, of the Serb Republic? And what kinds of rhetorical skills and, and what any other skills did he use? Well, you know, he was he was not the first person that uh, the 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 prominent Serbs wanted to lead that party he was the fourth so they had a series of prominent really prominent admired intellectuals who did not want uh to run the party um and he was the the fourth choice but then it turned out that he did have skills that were incredibly important. Um, he he really knew how to speak to people. He he uh, knew how to use sort of the the folk poetics. Um, he knew how to use deploy his understanding of history, epic poetry. He knows how to relate to people. He is spectacularly good at establishing a connection with people. And so I I actually tried to use the way he talked to me and tried to manipulate me and tried to establish connection with me as a way to show how in, quite talented he was at establishing that kind of connection. So you um, felt you felt his charisma there in the in the prison cell in the Oh, I could just, I was watching him. I, you know, I was able to see, okay, now he's trying to, I mean, I kept seeing him try to establish some kind of connection. As soon as he realized mm -hmm. I was Jewish, he became pro-Jew. Um, and I, I saw him do that. Uh, then he would try to claim that he loved American academics or what a great time he had in the United States. I mean, he tried to establish connection with me in any way he could. And, of course, we fought the Serb nationalists, the idea that, that he wanted to cozy up to me as, as an American, yeah. as his friend, uh, or as a Jew, frankly, I just... I was both impressed and horrified. I, I was amazed that he, you know, I, I could watch how, how his mind worked, how he, he, as soon as he realized that I knew someone he knew or I, I knew of some literature that he knew, he'd, he'd, he'd try to strengthen our connection on that basis. Mm -hmm. Very, very good at that. But I was, I was watching him in a way that I obviously wouldn't do if you and I went to a, 
uh, you know, to dinner and we're just if I, were, if I were in a prison cell, for example, <laughs> this reminds me of something he says to you. He says, historic peoples like Serbs and Jews don't think that historic figures live in a different time from our own. And it's notable for two things. First of all, the idea that uh, to him, maybe it is like these figures from 1389 are are still there. That's how important the the past is, but also, as you say in the book, he seems to be trying to cozy up to you by uh, uh, asserting this uh, some kind of commonality between the perspective of Serbs and Jews. Right, right, and uh, I, you know, I, I, it's interesting as as a Jew, I I always find it surprising that anybody would want to any person who saw a national any nationalist would think that it makes sense to cozy up to Jews in any way, but it, it turns out that uh, Bosniaks also see themselves as Jews. Both sides, it's a kind of victimization Olympics, and if you think about well, you know, who's the the most victimized? Mm-hmm. Well, then, Jews are a good people to to um, to, to latch on to. Um, there's no question that Bosniak, Bosniaks were, were the vic- massively more victimized than Serbs, but yet Serbs wanted to show the, to to just to think of themselves and present themselves as the victim, mm-hmm. as the Jew in that situation. Okay, so um, he the specific context that he starts putting these his skills to use in is that Serbs within Bosnia are. Frightened of of uh, what the future holds if 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 Bosnia breaks away and is run by Muslims and you know wh- one reason I think people like you get into trouble for delving into the origins of horrible things is that sometimes the narrative turns out to be a little more complicated than than we had thought when we were thinking purely in terms of good victims who have done nothing offensive and bad perpetrators and um i I don't mean that you suggest that the the bosnian people uh, did anything bad or the muslims did anything bad but but i think it is your view that it, it wasn't crazy or unnatural for the serbs to have some degree of trepidation um given uh what was happening and given some of the things i guess that were being said by the uh the bosnian le- leader's name is uh Iza Begovic. Um, he had he had done this. He, he had put out this thing in 1970 called the Islamic Declaration, which I think, if you read the whole thing, isn't like a super radical jihadist document or anything. But but how did? Well, well to what extent would you say you kind of understand the concern, and to what extent was Karadzic? just clever in selectively quoting from things like the Islamic declaration to amp up the fear. So the Islamic declaration uh, is, I think, an an Islamist document. And uh, it's certainly not a jihadist document, but... Islamist meaning you you favor a government that is, is in some sense founded on the principles of Islam, 
Yes, he didn't think that was possible. He says that he didn't think that was possible in Bosnia, but he he described himself as a great admirer of Pakistan. And, you know, the I, I think the Serb nationalists were, yes, were selectively quoting. It's a internally contradictory document. You can find sections like, like the Bible. You can find sections that can prove that Izjebegovic was an Islamist. You can find sections that prove that he was a, a Democrat who wanted to, to protect minorities, whoever those minorities were, uh, who did not want to establish a, a, a Muslim majority country, that that wasn't important to him. It wasn't, you know, you, you can, uh, you can, you, you can defend whatever position you want to take in regard to Izjebegovic. But Izjebegovic himself, saw himself as, well, as he put it, as an Islamic fundamentalist. Um, and that was something that I think Americans didn't, or some Americans didn't recognize. But I think more, even more important than that is that I do understand why people who uh, have been the dominant ethnic group feel pain at that loss. And I do understand why white people feel that. I do understand. Meaning in America. Yes, in Europe. I do understand why uh, people in in America think it's very important that everyone speaks English, that people in France think that French culture is threatened by massive numbers of immigrants. I understand that. I myself don't am happy to have immigrants but i i think that i think it's important that we recognize that there is genuine pain and there is a loss when uh when a country ex- i mean now now i'm talking about what is happening right now in the world as a result of global globalization and mass mm-hmm. migration I, I think when when the the world changes there, there's both gains and loss, and we have to recognize both. Globalization brings both gains and losses. Karadzic is very articulate against globalization. Yeah, I, that was notable. I, I was surprised almost that how much, and he's not the only Serb, how, how much of the Serbian narrative, going back a ways, paralleled uh, the narrative you, you associated with Trumpism in, it, in its attitude toward globalization. Yes, and it's not just Trump. It is nationalists that we see all over the West. He, he, he was a kind of, um, in the vanguard of this white nationalist movement. And he has become an important figure in that movement. I, that said, I do want to once again say that I, I, I think it's wrong to pretend that there is no loss uh, when uh, cultures change. Even though I'm on the side uh, of promoting legal immigration, I think that uh, it's just who mm-hmm. I am. Um, but I, because I because I have a habit of empathizing with people that have views that are very different from my own, um, I, I know I've been misunderstood. I've been misunderstood throughout my career as a result of this. 
um, this time I was more misunderstood. Um, so previously it was uh, with respect to jihadist terrorists and that kind of thing, those right. kinds of explorations. Yes, that I'm pro-jihadi, that I'm neo-Nazi, um, and and so on. Yes. Um, and, I, you know, I'm no more of a Serb nationalist than I am a jihadi or a neo-Nazi. I'm none of those things. Um, but I try to empathize and try to... Empathize, there's two meanings of empathy. One is kind of, you know, feel the pain. And then there's also kind of cognitive empathy of just understanding the perspective of the person and how they reach that perspective and why it might be the kind of perspective that would commonly be reached by somebody in their circumstances and so on. The two are related, right? Emotional empathy and cognitive empathy. But are are you talking more about one than the other here? I guess I'm talking more about cognitive empathy. I mean, that's the important part of the empathy for my purposes. Um, But I, I, I think I also have emotional empathy and I absolutely have believe in what you call radical empathy in empathizing with those with whom we do not sympathize. We do not approve. We disagree very strongly, even morally with what, what they've done or will do. Uh, I still believe that we're better off trying to understand them in this case, more importantly, cognitive empathy. Mm-hmm. The um, you know in the globalization thing, there's a, a a kind of a metaphor from Karadzic's childhood for this that I was struck by. You know, he has what to him is a very important memory that he was growing up in this idyllic rural village, and then they built a highway and it ruined everything. Right? I mean that that's j- the way he sees it, and it just struck me. Uh, I-, I wondered whether he is kind of retro retrospectively amplified that once he became an anti-globalist or what, but it just fits perfectly into his narrative. It does. And, you know, I think when, when he was, he wanted to be a sophisticated cosmopolitan, you know, he went to Sarajevo, a, a, a cosmopolitan city, and he, he, he took on the mantle of, of a, a sophisticate, um, but he he kind of regressed to his roots. His whole family talks about that highway uh, as as a disaster for yeah. their village. It, it, it's a common view they they hold. But you wonder. I mean, do you wonder if he had been more socially successful in the cosmopolitan world? I mean, for that matter, if Donald Trump had been more accepted by the cosmopolitan elites in Manhattan rather than viewed as this crass real estate guy from the Queens. Um, well, these are two separate questions, of course. But has, uh, 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 do you have a view on that with respect to Karadzic? Could he well ha- ha- had his had his pattern of social reinforcement gone differently? Could he? Have, That's a you know, really good question. You yeah. know, I, I'm. Maybe, maybe if he had succeeded as a poet and had been accepted, and, and not as a country bumpkin who who managed to write some bad poetry, but had been accepted as a great poet, if he had been uh, elected to the Academy of Sciences and Arts, perhaps he he wouldn't have gone the way he did. But I'm I'm not sure um, because certainly one of his mentors. Uh, who was a member of, of the academy 
of sciences and arts, became a Serb nationalist in Croatia, though I believe he came to regret the role he played. Karadzic has zero regret for the role he played. He absolutely was not able to imagine himself to, you know, I asked him to imagine himself not as a, not that his audience was Serb nationalist, but that imagine you're the Dalai Lama, the whole world is listening, hanging on your every word. Is there anything that you could say to help people not commit genocide, to prevent this kind of horrific act? Um, and he, he couldn't, he couldn't imagine himself that way. He, he could not express remorse in any way, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. Okay. So, so he finds himself in this position where there is a certain amount of fear, uh, among Serbs in Bosnia of the, a certain amount of it, the kind you would expect in this, uh, situation. And then, would, would you say, I mean, we'll get later into his exact connection to the genocide, which is certainly not as direct as the connection of uh, General Mladic, uh, who, who was also convicted. Uh, but um, would you say that his greatest crime, uh, Karadzic, was in amping up the fear in the beginning was that his biggest contribution to the to the genocide and in any event um just talk about that whole kind of phase yeah i mean i i don't obviously in terms of the law amping up people's fear is is not a crime in in the same way of course as as murdering civilians um the the vast majority of the civilians who were killed in that war were, were Bosniaks, uh, and that was organized by, by Karadzic. So, uh, what happened, uh, there, there was a, a lot of ethnic cleansing. That's the term that it, it's not, it was a term that was not invented in the 90s that had been used earlier. Um, but, trying to remove, convert, or kill uh, people who were uh, in Serb areas. Now, there was a, a, a much lesser amount on the part of the other two ethnic groups. Um, the vast majority of, of civilian deaths, as I said, were, were Bosniaks. Um, but this is what happened during that war. And this is what was so horrifying for for us. I mean, I remember hearing about it. Um, I mean, I remember at the time I was I had a long commute. I was living in California, and, and I just remember listening to NPR and just hearing these horrible stories about concentration camps and civilians being killed and rape camps, and um, it was just just terrible um, what happened and and that it was happening in Europe and that people had said never again after the Holocaust. And here it seemed to be happening again. And um, there was a lot of pressure for, for the West to intervene and especially the United States to intervene, which we finally did after um, the genocide at Srebrenica, which was mm-hmm. a, uh, a town where nearly 8,000 Muslim men and boys were, were killed 
as the Serbs, the Serbs took the town and then killed these men and boys. And that is when the U.S. finally really right. got seriously involved. I, I actually remember George Shultz, who had been Secretary of State, I guess for Reagan, on what was then called the McNeil Air Report in the 90s, saying, before we had intervened, saying exactly what you said. He said, we said never again. And that was, um, uh, and he was advocating intervention, which did happen. And it, and it actually happened under the auspices of the United Nations, um, because as you said, Bosnia had been recognized. And some of this aggression uh, by the Bosnian service was being abetted by Serbia proper, I think was the reason this was defined as transborder aggression and the UN Security Council authorized the American intervention. Uh, but that was after Srebrenica, right? So the, 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 so, and I don't think you get into the details in the, in the book. Do you know, did they, did they actually round these 8,000 males up and kill them or did they just go house to house with instructions to kill any males under the age of 70 or what, uh, what, what, uh, they, yeah, they, they were, they were trying to run away. Um, mm-hmm. They were, the, the town had been taken and they were trying to leave. They were running through the woods and um, so, were mowed down. I mean, it, it's. A, it, so it wasn't it's, even, it wasn't even like they, the, the, it was uh, necessary for purposes of the ethnic cleansing that they killed them. I mean. They, they had were, already they taken the leave. town. Yeah. They had already taken the town. Um, uh, so now, as we said, uh, General Mladic, uh was, I guess he was the commander of the whole army at that yes. point. Yes. He certainly knew what was going on. Um, Karadzic, on the one hand, in, in some context, we now know boasted to his some of his constituents that he was he was really the guy to get the credit for all of this but then in another context would deny that he knew what 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 is the what is the what are the facts of the case as you finally concluded well i the 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 yugoslav tribunal uh didn't actually use all the evidence that that there were some intercepts of Karadzic, as you just alluded to, boasting, I'm the one, I get the credit for for this genocide, I planned this, um, I did this, Mladic should not get the credit. There was a lot of competition between Karadzic and his military commander, um, and a lot of tension between them. But the court concluded that he knew uh, as of July 13th, 1995, um, exactly what was going on. And um, so when he later said, look, I didn't even know what was happening. They didn't tell me. Uh, that was was a lie. He was lying to the court. Uh, he he was and he lo- lo- was lying to me. So he he lied in two different directions, depending on the audience. Okay. And he, I mean, the, the, I guess the uh, the political connection between him and Mladic is, is is complicated. There was tension between them. Mladic was also responsive to Milosevic, who wasn't nominally his uh, the the politician in charge, you know, who, that he would take orders from. But he he also was responsive to Milosevic, right? They had a they had in some ways a close connection. Well, 
it it appeared during that period that Milosevic and Mladic they were in contact, uh, which was discovered during the trial of Milosevic. Milosevic, of course, died in prison before he was convicted. But some of those intercepts were uh, discovered and revealed mm-hmm. um, during that that trial. And the two of them, it, it's clear that Milosevic had a pretty good idea about exactly what was going on um, oh, and actually what was about to happen. Um, and uh, he, there was a lot of tension between Milosevic and Karadzic. Milosevic came to feel that, that Karadzic was basically a fool. And by the way, that's, that's a, a view that I, I've heard even on the part of some Serb nationalists that this was a man who really didn't have the skill set to be a proper leader. And, uh, he was a buffoon, and uh, this, this is sounding so familiar. I mean, again, I don't want, I, I, I but because I mean, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know Trump is is on the verge of doing anything horrible in the way that this was horrible. But there just are these interesting parallels, and and one, I mean, as you say, he's kind of considered a buffoon. Not the guy you want actually governing when it comes time to govern, but a guy who could feel a crowd. He had a sense for a crowd and what you say to rev up a crowd. And uh, again, um, in, in the, um, in, in a way, in a way, maybe his most consequential role, given, given that it was, it was uh, more Mladic who actually did the genocide. And, and I guess maybe the one who decided to do it really. Uh, and, uh, and, but, but, but it seems that, um, the Karadzic's role was, was important in getting Serbian sentiment to a point where this was the kind of thing you would brag about, right? I mean, it may seem amazing to us that people would, 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 uh, you know, compete for the honor of, of taking credit for a genocide, but, that is where Serb sentiment had gotten, and your view is that Karadzic is 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 was instrumental in getting it there. Is that yes? I mean, it, you said earlier you, you you put your finger on it that that his perhaps his most important crime was, was strengthening, manipulating people to to feel so afraid. Um, that they could get to the point where genocide was all but inevitable. Mm-hmm. And, and, that- and there was also a plan we should, I, I should clarify, um, that Serb nationalists had, there was also a rational plan, uh, to take over, uh, par- part of the territory. So part of this was, was a, a kind of organic result of fear. And part of it was, a plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and the specific kind of skill he exercised, the kind of thing he did, is he would be speaking in public, I gather, and just say, "Yes, we are under threat." Emphasize the threat. Emphasize the most incendiary quotes coming from the other side, and the most, but from the most incendiary people, and so on. Just the standard stuff, and and he just kind of did it day in and day out for a while. Yes. Yeah. Um. So. 
you know, there is, you alluded to, to uh, Hannah Arendt, who um, famously, I guess this was during the Nuremberg trials or shortly thereafter, right? She, am I right? You tell me if I've got this right. She wrote for the New Yorker right. about the war criminals, and certainly including Eichmann. And that I was, it was it actually um, in Israel, in Jerusalem. Um, it, it wasn't. Oh, wasn't the? No, it was. Oh, gosh, I, what year was it? In the? It was in the sixties or seventies in Jerusalem. She I think wrote, it was the sixties. She wrote this series of. Uh, she wrote for the New Yorker and then wrote a book, Eichmann in Jerusalem. Right. So she was at the trial. Okay. Of Eichmann. Of Eichmann. And I, I don't know if she coined the phrase, but it came to be associated with the banality of evil. It's yeah. one view of how people sometimes come to be the kinds of people who do horrible things. Can you summarize that view for us? Well, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, this, this is a, a hotly debated topic among philosophers. And I'm not a philosopher, but m- my understanding is that it the, the idea was that Eichmann did not himself hate Jews, that he wasn't following, he, he wasn't subscribing to a, a zealous interpretation of the ideology uh, or, or the, the Nazi ideology itself. Was, um, he was following orders, that he was an, an ordinary person, not an evil person, but an ordinary person who was was following orders and he was a good soldier as opposed to a person who was really motivated by a rabid hatred of Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yes, um, what, what Bettina Stongneth, who, who has taken on this idea... Um, and disagrees with Hannah Arendt, says that Hannah Arendt came up with a concept that's very important. Nobody had ever thought about the idea of, of that a person could be evil in a banal sense, that mm-hmm. they, they are participating in an evil enterprise, but not, not necessarily with zealotry, zealous, zealous dedication to the evil, to the evil, but, but to the, the regime, Mm -hmm. um, uh, that that was a very important concept, but she felt that she found evidence that Eichmann in fact did fully believe in the Nazi ideology. And in a way, uh, I would say that I'm, I've discovered something similar in regard to Karadich. Most interpretations of Karadich are that he was somebody who didn't, it wasn't a real nationalist. He just fell into this nationalism because it was expedient uh, when he was in power. I think I, I was able to show that, that he was actually dedicated to the nationalist cause. So uh, it's more similar to, to what Bettina Stangneth has said about Eichmann mm-hmm. than what Hannah Arendt found about Eichmann. Okay. Now, now there's a view that was expressed by, a, uh, I guess, a psychiatrist named Kelly 
after the Nazi war crimes uh, that you note in, in the in the book. He said that you need three characteristics to get these horrible people. They 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 have they're very ambitious. They have little in the way of an ethical compass, little ethical constraint, and they are nationalistic. Those were the three things. So is is that a kind of um and I and I guess you would take that to apply to to uh to to Karajik, right? The the um uh so you're nodding your head for people who are just listening. Yes. Um the, the the um uh where does that fit on the spectrum of on if if there's a spectrum between banality of evil and then the and pure evil, like they are almost just possessed by this incomprehensible force to do bad, you know. Where on the spectrum does that Dr. Kelly view, which is kind of your view in this case, does that does, does that question make sense? I mean, it does. I mean, so Dr. Kelly was, was an American psychiatrist um, who evaluated the Nazis who when they were awaiting trial at Nuremberg, and he and he was famous for his ability to interpret Rorschach tests. He was. That was something he was apparently skilled at, although I can't imagine why anybody would would see much utility in that test, especially after the fight that I'm about to describe. And there was a psychologist who was there as well, a name Gilbert. And um, the two of them ended up having a, a profound disagreement about exactly how evil the Nazis at who were waiting trial at Nuremberg were. Kelly was particularly interested in Goering, um, and he found him charming and intelligent. Many of them, in fact, were, uh, not all, but many of them were intelligent and terribly narcissistic and probably somewhere, if there's a spectrum of psychopathy, somewhere on the spectrum of psychopathy. But Gilbert saw them as demonic psychopaths. I think this, there's something very appealing about seeing people who commit terrible crimes as demons, that we are completely different from them. They're not human. We don't have to worry that we would ever fall into the trap of doing anything evil because we're not like them. We're human and they're demonic. And Kelly profoundly disagreed with that position and, in fact, became very depressed as a result of his conclusion that the people awaiting trial at Nuremberg were the kind of people that you might find running organizations. Um, and they're maybe malignant narcissists. You know, they're not, as, as he said, the kind of person who appears once in a century a, a truly devilish person, but somebody that we might see uh, running a country um, or running an organization, and that could happen even in the United States. I mean, I, I think it's it's so easy and and comforting to think that that such people just come out of, of, of the underworld <laughs> and, and they're, they're extremely rare. But, but it, according to Kelly, it wasn't true. 
And I guess one reason the question matters is uh, if there are always plenty of people who will exploit a situation like this sitting around, right, and are, and, and are capable of it ethically, in terms of their skill set, uh, in terms of their inclination, then you have to be careful about allowing the kinds of um, social forces and situations that are conducive to it to, to fester, right? I mean... Uh, yes, I'm that, nodding that, again. I, yeah, yes, she's I not, let, let, let the record show that the witness nodded. Um, so, uh, okay, I guess I have then a... a just a couple of more um, quick questions. So one is, there's a quote here that I think was comes from this uh, woman you called Dr. Angel. Uh, in any event, um, she says, uh, um, you look at Trump and you laugh. Well, that's how we took Karadzic, you know? Uh, you know, it's kind of in the same way that Trump speaks of... of uh, Mexican rapists and, 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 and so on, you know, Carrots spoke, he spoke of, of Bosnian Muslims, uh, saying comparable things. We just didn't take it that seriously. Now, again, I, 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 you know, I'm not, I, I'm not making any undue, I don't want to suggest any undue comparisons. And I, and I personally get a little bothered by people who get hyperbolic about the extent to which Trump has so far manifested actual authoritarian, you know, governance. I mean, leaving aside his inclinations and what he might do if he could get away with it, I, 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 I don't, I don't think it's like the situation is by any means out of control. That's my own view. And there's a danger in overstatement. With, with all that said, what, what is your, what is your kind of final considered opinion on what the interesting parallels are here? How concerned we should be? Anything you want to say about this? Well, the the woman who said that it, this was before the election of Donald Trump, and she said she said to me she was a, a, a Bosniak. Trump does remind me of Karadzic, and yeah. that you know people should take him a lot more seriously. It was before his election when nobody thought he could ever win. Um, and he was being denounced by every Republican as a- a- absolutely not the man for for the job. Uh, and uh, she she said, "This is what happened to us. Here was this this buffoon." Um, and so that that was a parallel drawn by a, a, a Bosniak American who felt afraid. I mean, just as people who survived the Nazis, some of them felt very afraid um, seeing the rise of Donald Trump. Uh, we are not in a situation likely to lead to war. And, and of course, the virus has changed our world so completely mm-hmm. uh, that I think our worry about uh, in migrants um ha- has fallen by the wayside for the moment but i i do think that's a, a a dangerous approach to take to to talk about caravans of dangerous migrants uh crossing coming to the border um an invasion using language like invasion um well and rape and- is such a triggering thing it's like they're going to take your daughters right i mean it's just it's very volatile uh 
kind of terminology. And, and we've seen that white white nationalists and supremacists have have taken the bait. They feel supported. Um, they they also use some of the same language. Um, and we've seen terrorist attacks uh, carried out in, in the name of, of, of this ideology. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the virus does to us. I, you know, I'm seeing in some ways people come together in, in a way that and helping each other in a way that is profoundly moving and the heroism that we're seeing um on the part of medical personnel. And I, I, I'd like to think that that will, that will awaken the better angels of our nature uh, rather than the kind of talk about Mexican rapists that I think was really awakening something terrible, a a terrible capacity uh, in the American people. Okay. So final uh, question is, um, you know, one one thing we I haven't said is that the book is uh it's very closely observed uh, uh partly in the sense that you observe yourself very closely. You describe these sessions in the jail cell, your reactions to them, his attempt to manipulate you. At one point he says he wants to try his energy healing on you and and and, and so on. Anyway, you're you're paying a lot of attention to your psychological Reaction. So, just to to get back to this overarching theme, as 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 we said, you know, a fear about explorations of the kind you've done in the book is that, as you know, the old French expression. I don't know how to say it in in French, but to know all is to forgive all, right? That the more you know about someone, the harder you'll you'll find it to blame them. Wow, this guy had a murder for father. His his mom was this nutso nationalist, and and then blah blah blah. Um. Having having observed all your own reactions, how like what kind of psychological balance have you wound up with? Have have you you know emerged with some genuine sympathy? Uh, and 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 if so, have you been able to reconcile that with a continued view that he should be in jail and should be punished or what? Just what what's it kind of like? Because see, I don't I don't think people are imagining that there's a challenge here, right? That, 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 in other words, it is a challenge to actually understand why people do things, um, and yet come away thinking that for the good of the world, they need to be punished. Because the more you understand these things, the more you're inclined to compassion. So I just, if you could just say whatever you want about what, what that's been like for you and where you wind up. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've done this so many times. Um, I've talked to terrorists that have done really, really terrible things. And um, I, I talked to one who uh, I, he, he was telling me things. It was almost as if he wanted to, to tell me that he was a psychopath. He told me that he tortured animals as a child it was almost like he wanted – it often ends up almost like a therapy session if I spend enough uh, time with someone, especially in prison, because they tend to be quite lonely. Um, uh, I, it is 
in the moment possible for me to really follow the logic of of a terrorist when I'm sitting with them. I really try to understand what motivated them. Um, and sometimes the the there is a, a grievance that I really can understand. Um, that's not true in the case of Karadzic. I mean, I, 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 I understand why Serb nationalists felt the way they did, but it does, it doesn't compel me the way, um, for example, sometimes talking to Kashmiri, uh, Azad, Pakistani Kashmiri, uh, jihadis, hearing their story, I, I really understand why they ended up feeling they needed to become terrorists. That doesn't mean I condone that decision. Not at all. I condemn it 100%. I, I am totally opposed to killing of non-combatants. If, if there's one theme that, that animates what I've always done, it's a curiosity and horror of of somebody who would deliberately target non-combatants or organize the deliberate targeting of non-combatants, which is a violation of the just war tradition of every of Judeo-Christian tradition of the Islamic just war tr- tradition. It's, it's, it's an evil act. Um, and there, there, to me, there is a big difference between, uh, or I can distinguish between empathizing with what led a person to that level of desperation and condoning. I don't condone, but I can still explain. I can explain how they got there. Um, and I, in order to get to the point where I can explain it, I have to sit and really listen and try to, to take that person's perspective. And that's what I have always aimed to do. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Anything else you want to say about the book or the? No, I, I think the one other thing I want to say is thank you very much. Thank you. You really read carefully and I listened I really carefully. I, I listened carefully while, uh, doing my new uh, pandemic exercise regime of, uh, riding my bike rather than swimming at the Y that is now closed because of the pandemic. So uh, it, listening to your book would have been much harder if I had been swimming. But, uh, <laughs> but I really, uh, you know, it's a really important book, as I said. It's a fascinating story, and I, and I think you should be commended for, well, taking the initiative to just research the damn thing. I mean, you, you know, you got to finagle your way into a prison cell in The Hague. That's not easy in itself. Um mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and taking it on, um, and cause I, I think it's very important work. Um, I finally just want to apologize for pronouncing Karadzic's name at least three different ways in the course of this interview. I'm not, I, I, I should have practiced. I, I, I still not. Can you say it one more time? Karadzic. Karadzic. Okay. I'm, I'm sure. I, I think I that's the one, the one pronunciation I didn't deploy for the entire thing. <laughs> well, now you've done it. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, well. Thanks a lot, Jessica. I really, uh, I really learned from the, from the book, and I appreciate it. Thank you.